It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio. California, on behalf of standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If you have something that must be handled with complete confidence, then you need me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine... Hatred between brothers is an old and tragic story. More tragic in my case because in all the years we haven't seen each other, my brother Phil hasn't been exactly a model of virtue. I feel I'm at least partially responsible and I'd like to make it up to him somehow. I think I finally... I finally succeeded in locating him, but at this point I need your help. You can reach me at the Hotel Stapleton. And it's signed, Sincerely Yours, Martin Bettner. Huh. Gosh, I think in a way this is, well, touching. One brother realizing his error and trying Oh, to... Brooksy, you're a dyed-in-the-wool sentimentalist. I bet you still have your first doll and your first dance program stashed away somewhere. Yes, along with some other sentimental relics I've collected since I met you. Oh? A blackjack, an old and faded poison pen letter, one sawed-off <laughs> touché, shotgun... Touché, Angel, touché. <laughs> now, what do you say we call this Mr. Bettner at the Stapleton and see just what he has on his mind? I called you in, Mr. Valentine, because, well, in a way, you're my neighbor. Uh, what do you mean by that, Mr. Bettner? Well, look here, uh, Mr. Valentine, Miss Brooks. Yes? Uh, here in the personal notice column in the paper, your ad is just under mine. Oh, yes, now I remember your ad. You've been running this for a week or so. That's right, Miss Brooks. <laughs> I just didn't tie it up with your letter. Oh, let me see that. Uh, Philip, let's forget the past. If you'll meet me halfway, we can make up for all that bitterness. Uh, there's even a place waiting for you in the family business. I'm at the stable in Martin Bettner. You said you'd located your brother, Mr. Bettner. He must have gotten in touch with you. I said I think I've located my brother. But if Phil has seen my ad, uh, he hasn't answered it. I got only one reply from a uh, Renee Clemens. Uh, take a look at it, Mr. Valentine. Huh? What does it say, George? Uh-huh. Well, it seems Miss Clemens knows where Phil Bettner, quote, the rat, unquote, is now holed up. She's willing to part with that information for a price, figured it arrived at. Well, what's the problem, Bettner? Well, back in Waynesville, I know my way around, but here in this town, like a fish store. Back home, I've got my own hardware business. I know everybody to look at, and they know me, but here it's different. Oh, I see. Well, why don't you just drive the best bargain you can with this gal, pay her off with a dated check, then see if her information is the real thing. Oh, it, it isn't just the money, I... Don't know the kind of people Phil's been associating with in the last five years. This could be some kind of trap. It's an awful lot better if you came along with me to see this, Miss Clemens. All right, good enough. But look, Bettner, you've been hinting that your brother has been operating a little on the uh, shady side. Well, I'm afraid so. Well, then the police could tell you where he was, just like that, if you got in touch with them. I checked. Phil has no police record, thank heavens. He's been mixed up in gambling, mostly horse racing, and so far he's been lucky... Two weeks ago, some people in Detroit told me left for here, and that's all I know. Well, assuming Miss Clemens is a local girl, your brother must have worked pretty fast to make such a, an indelible impression in two weeks. I don't know what to think. 
But I've got to find Phil and talk to him. Well, first, let's have a talk with Renee. She may know whereof she speaks, but I'm afraid her price won't be reasonable. It'll cost you 500 bucks. Now, wait a minute, sister. The name is Miss Clemens. And I should up the price, seeing that all of a sudden I'm dealing with three people. Uh, please, Miss Clemens, I asked Miss Brooks, Mr. Valentine, to come along with me. Five hundred bucks. But Mr. Bettner only wants his brother's address. He doesn't want to make a down payment on the house. Oh, I see we've got a Vassar girl here. All right, ladies, enough of this banter. The price is too high, Miss Clemens. Sorry. Come on, Bettner. Uh, yes, Let's get going. Oh, uh, no, uh, wait a minute. Well? What uh, kind of a deal would you go for? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I'll be lavish with Mr. Bettner's money. Two fifty cash. I have that much right here with me. What do you say? Well, Miss Brooks still doesn't seem to approve of the price. <laughs> All I can say is you're lucky you're dealing with men. Yeah, some girls are lucky to have what it takes to get what they want. All you've got is an address, and it's not even your own. Listen here, you Break little... clean, girls. Two hundred and fifty dollars, Miss Clemens. All right. Let's have it. Certainly. Here you are. Now, where can I find my brother? It's 356 Moreno Street. A grimy, broken-down rooming house. It's so dark you need a seeing-eyed dog to get up the stairs. I got you. Just a cottage small by a waterfall. Thanks. We'll find our way. Just be sure you tell him Rene sent you. <laughs> I wish I could be there to see the look on his face. Well, if you know Philip is so dead set against getting in touch with me, why are you doing this? Mm, let's be charitable and say I wouldn't mind if he dropped dead. And it'd be a pleasure to spend the 250 bucks on flowers for his funeral. Oh, I knew she had a kind heart. Well, we may as well be going, Valentine. I know if I can just speak to Phil, everything will be all right. Yeah, 356 Moreno Street, eh, Miss Clemens? You heard me. That better be Phil Bettner's place. Or you'll find his brother is just an Indian giver. Get what I mean? This is it. Number seven. He's got his card tacked up on the door. Hmm. Philip Bettner. Investments. Huh. Who's kidding whom? Well, this is worse than I thought. Looks like nobody's home. We'll wait right here till he comes back. I don't think that'll be very comfortable. Uh, do you mind paying for a lock, Bettner? What? What do you mean, George? Just this. Wait a minute. Please sit down. Oh, golly, where's the window? This place hasn't been aired out in a week. <laughs> Eternal feminine. I I don't know what I'll say to Philip. I don't want to hurt his pride. Uh-huh. What have you got there, Valentine? Well, it looks like this desk is your brother's investment office. His favorite and only investment being horses. I knew it was something like that. What's up, darling? December 20th, $2,000, Henning. January 3rd, $3,500, Henning, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And all to Henning. What's that supposed to mean? No wonder your brother Phil is living in a dump like this. From the way this stacks up, he owes about 25 grand to Lou Henning. Oh, George. Wait a minute, Angel. You see, Bettner, this character Lou Henning is the big shot bookie in this town. You don't go around owing him 25,000 bucks for too long. Oh. George, please. I was just trying to explain to Bettner. What's the matter with you, Brooksy? That, that red spot under the closet door. Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? What's wrong? 
Yeah, it's all dried up. Blood, George? It's not red ink. But do you think that could be? Henning has his own way of collecting debts. Well, there's one sure way to find out. That's not Phil. Who is it? This, my friend, is Lou Henning. Just about as dead as you can get with a knife stuck in your back. Phil wouldn't do a thing like this. He might have been a lot of things, but he's not a killer. I wouldn't know, Brooksy. Yes, George. There's no phone here. Beat it down the corner and call Lieutenant Johnson. Oh, I won't mind getting out of here at all. Valentine, couldn't we close that closet door? Sorry. From now on, we can't touch anything. Oh. I, uh... I suppose the police will just take it for granted that Phil did this killing. What would you think in their place? I guess you're right. Now, but... look, Bradner, I'm not saying your brother did this. But as soon as Henning's mob finds out what's happened, they're going to jump to their own conclusions. What I'm trying to say is, let's hope the police find him first. I see. Uh, Valentine. Yeah? You're still working for me, aren't you? I was, but things are a little different now. No, they aren't. You You still have to find my oh, brother. Hold on, wait a find minute. Find him before he's shot down in cold blood. But the police at least will have a chance to explain all this, if there is an explanation. You're putting me on a tight rope, Bettner. The police on one side, Henning's boys on the other. If it's a question but, of money, whatever you say... Looks like I... Henning's been in that closet a couple of days. It's not going to be easy picking up your brother's trail. I'm not asking you to promise me anything, but, but try, will you? Okay. Okay, it's a deal. But if Henning's mob gets to Phil first, that Clemens dame will be spending that two fifty on flowers for your brother's funeral. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about gears. Most folks just couldn't say whether the gears in their cars are spur, worm, spiral, or hypoid, but... The men at Standard Stations and at independent Chevron gas stations know the minute you drive in. And because there are so many different kinds of gears in today's cars, all these service stations carry a variety of lubricants to meet their special needs. RPM lubricants. Each one tailor-made to carry away heat, to keep gears shifting easily, to do a better wear-saving job. Make sure you get an RPM lubricant next time you get that 5,000-mile change for your transmission and differential gears. While you're at the independent Chevron gas station or standard station, ask for a free copy of Batter Up, the new illustrated handbook on baseball. It's a gift to you from the service stations that say and mean we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Am I my brother's keeper? Martin Bettner thought so, and hired George to help him locate his black sheep brother, Philip. But when they arrived in Phil Bettner's room, they found a body in the closet. The body of Lou Henning, a big-shot bookie. George has just sent Claire to the corner drugstore to call Lieutenant Johnson. Be reasonable, Bettner. I promised you I'd look for your brother, but I can't leave until Lieutenant Johnson gets here. He's going to have an awful lot of questions to ask. But Phil won't have a chance if Lou Henning's men get to him first. You said so yourself. I know, I know. All right, there's one thing I will do, though. Make a phone call. I think I know just the character who might be able to give me a lead on Phil. I'll be back in a few minutes. Oh, uh, say, I, I just remembered. I think I saw a phone down in the hall when we came in. You could have thought of that before. <laughs> Thank you. 
I wouldn't be calling you Oddbos if I wasn't willing to pay for the information. See, the name's Bettner, Phil Bettner. Doesn't mean anything to you, huh? Now look, Oddbos, you're my favorite pawnbroker. You know everything that goes on in this part of town. He's probably hiding out. Okay, I'll drop around your place in an hour or so. Hey, what goes here? Hey, better open the door so we can have some light out here in the hall, will you? Come on, before I break my neck. Hold it. Hold it. Wait a minute. I... You stay right there by the head of the stairs, George, till I put on this light. Never mind that angel. Open the door. George! Mr. Bettner, he's... Yeah. Looks like he got the same treatment I did. Hey, see how he is, will you, Brucey? I couldn't bend down now to pick up a thousand-dollar bill. Mr. Bettner! Mr. Bettner, are you all right? Oh. Good. At least he's making a noise. George, he was knocked out, too. Uh, it... It was Phil. I... I was standing there, and he... He came in the door and then... Let me help you get up, Mr. Bettner. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Are you sure it was Phil? I I tried to talk to him, but he picked up that desk lamp and hit me with it. You better sit down. Thank you. Your brother. So that's the one who threw me down the stairs. Why did he come back? What was he looking for? Valentine, at least we know that Phil can't be very far from here. That should help you find him. I mean, you're still interested in finding that brother of yours? He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't even give me a chance to talk to him. You stay here in the hall, Hennessy. Okay, Lieutenant. Hey, what is this? The St. James Infirmary? Oh, Lieutenant Johnson. Yeah, I get your point, Lieutenant. Bettany here and I took a little worse for the wear. But we managed to outlive the corpse. Where is it, Valentine? Over there. Yeah, what do you know? It is Henny. Let you in on a little secret, Miss Brooks. I didn't believe you when you called me. Why do you think I kept screaming at you over the phone? Ah. Oh, Hennessy. Yeah, Lieutenant? Get the fingerprint, boys, and the photographer, and we'll go to work. Yes, sir. Still can't believe it. Believe what? Lou Henning with his $25 silk shirts, and look at him. Folded up like a jackknife in the bottom of a closet in a crummy rooming house and killed by a cheap little gambler. Oh, Lieutenant, I don't think you heard. This is Philip Bettner's brother, Martin. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. Lieutenant, I, I know there's only one thing you can think, but I still insist my brother didn't kill this man. Look, I may as well tell you, Mr. Bettner, we've got a general alarm out for your brother. Yes? I suppose, as usual, Mr. Valentine, you've got an altogether different theory about this thing. On the contrary, Lieutenant, I'm in complete agreement with you for once. Well, we dropped Bettner off safely at the Stapleton, and I bought you a nice, juicy hamburger. So now, out you go, Brooksy. You know what you're supposed to do. Yes, George. 
But you don't know what you're asking of me. Rene brings out the fishwife in me. The Black Mariah will be taking us both away. Go on, Angel. That gal in there didn't tell us half what she really knows. Maybe because you do rub her the wrong way, we can find out some more. Well, okay. And when you're through, wait for me in the lobby of the stapler. Mm-hmm. If I don't get there, I'll give you a call. Mm-hmm. He's so good to me. Well, now for Rene. Wish I'd let my fingernails grow. Uh, yes, miss? What? Well, well. Now all you have to do is whistle. Yeah? And I'll send you my grandfather's OU kid button. Huh? Oh, never mind, Bogart. Get on your switchboard and call Miss Clemens. Tell her I'm coming up to see her. Sorry, miss. She just left. Um... I'll be leaving in an hour myself. Does that uh, mean anything to you? Listen, Junior. Did Miss Clemens say where she was going, and was there anybody with her? Sorry, I don't know a thing about the affairs of our tenants. Oh, I get it. Oh, now a bright, good-looking boy like you must notice everything. I could tell that the way you looked at me as soon as I came in. Well, knowing yourself as you do, can you blame me, Oh, if you keep saying those things, you're going to spoil me, sure thing. (laughs) Uh, The name's Tommy. Yes, Thomas. Now, about Miss Lemon. She left about five minutes before you came in. She had a couple of bags with her. She was with a big, tall guy. Yes, Tommy? He had kind of wavy hair, and I I think she called him Phil. Huh? Oh, that's fine, Tommy. That's just what I wanted to know. How can I ever thank you? Well, I told you I'd be off in an hour. Uh, uh, Say, uh, wait, uh, what was your name again? I'll mail it to you on your 21st birthday. And that's a promise, Tommy. Now, look, Oddfoss, uh, why are you making like a clam all of a sudden? <laughs> Is that what I was doing? Oh, don't give me that. You've been selling information about people for years. Why the sudden... Oh, I get it. You already know about Lou Henning. Uh, who doesn't? Now, look, Valentine. Why don't you forget you ever heard of Phil Bettner? If I'm afraid to talk to you, who will? <laughs> Side pocket three ball. Uh, sorry to interrupt your pool game, friend, but Whitey Sanderson said you might know where I might find Phil. Look, brother, you're a stranger to me. Let's keep it that way. Okay, boys, here's the last race. Hialeah. Queen Meg. Men, 880, place 663, 40 for show. Say, mister. Hey, tell me you're looking for information. Who told you? Oh, word gets around. It's about PB, ain't it? Yeah, that's right. Got anything I can use? If you're willing to pay for it. What do you say they step up out here? All right, come on, give. You know, you took the words right out of my mouth, mister. Okay, okay, mister. Here's five tens. And don't try chiseling for more because it won't work. I wouldn't do this to my best friend. Except I had a bad day at the track. Never mind that. Now, where do I find Phil Bettner? Twenty-two and a half Jackson Place. Okay, Valentine. I got your call. Where's Phil Bettner? Uh, oh. Yeah, Lieutenant, that's your boy. What's left of him? So Henning's mob did catch up with him first. 
That's about as neat a job as I've ever seen. Yeah. It's been right cozy sitting here waiting for you. I know. You lead an awful tough life, Valentine. Look, we're going to get him down to the morgue. You get his brother down there to identify him. Yeah, I'll do that. You don't mind if I make a telephone call first. What for? I promised Brooksy faithfully I wouldn't leave her sitting in that lobby all night. Then I suppose what I wanted to tell you isn't too important now. Rene left her apartment with Phil a few hours ago. Yeah, yeah, but look, Angel, tell Martin Bettner to meet me at headquarters. He has to identify his brother. But don't tell him why. I'll take care of that myself. Well, sorry, George, you're going to have to call him yourself. Huh? I just saw something walk across the lobby, and I'm going to follow what it. What are you talking about? Tell you about it later, Angel. I'll be seeing you. <laughs> Going somewhere, Miss Clemens? Oh, the Vassar girl again. Yeah. Now, look, dearie, how about you and me going to the morgue together? What are you talking about? Oh, they'll probably want to ask you some questions about Phil. And I'd hate to see you take this bus and have to come all the way back. I'm taking this bus. You're just making things very difficult. What are you going to do about it? Oh, I'm just going to tear your hair out and scream all over the place. Then they'll slap us both in jail for disorderly conduct. And the jail is right next door to the morgue. You wouldn't dare. Oh, no? Ah! Stop it! Hmm? Okay, you win. I knew you'd be reasonable. Where's that client of yours anyway, Valentine? Please, Lieutenant, be compassionate. Yeah. I just told Bettner his brother's lying here in the morgue. He's having a cup of black coffee. Be here in a minute. Oh. Uh, Swanson. Yes, Lieutenant? Got the tag on Bettner all filled out? Just got through making it out. Bettner, Philip, age 36, Caucasian, height 6 foot 2, weight 190, identifying marks, if any... Right arm withered, appendicitis scar, port wine bookmark of the left knee. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Where have you got him? Down the aisle there, number 302. Yeah. When you get through identifying him, let me know and I'll put him away. Come on, Valentine. Hmm? Oh, sure, sure, Lieutenant. Now, don't tell me this place is getting you down. A tough-minded character like you. Oh, no, 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 I was just thinking. Ah, let's see, 302. Right down there, sir. I think they're waiting for you now. Thank you. Oh, there's Bettner now. Yeah. Are you okay now? Yes, I I think so. Could we make this as quick as possible? I know, of course. Just necessary routine. Here. Is this your brother? Yes, that's Phil. Well, that's all there is to it, Mr. Bettner. We'll just put the sheet back over Johnson, he's down there, Miss. Oh, come on, Miss. Can I stop this way, Miss Clemens? Now, what gives? Yeah, what is it, Brooksy? Look who I found, George. Well, we meet again, Miss Clemens. So that's what you saw walking across the lobby. Who's this? She's the young lady who gave us the information about my brother. Oh. Well, you might as well identify him, too, Miss. Just for the record. Oh, oh, Phil, Phil. I guess that clinches it. <gasps> 
I tried to tell him he wouldn't have a chance against Henning, but he wouldn't listen to me. How am I going to go on without him? I can't. Isn't this a sudden reversal, Miss Clemens? Not long ago, you were willing to sell him out to his brother for $250. Yes, and even spend that money on flowers for his funeral. What's that? I didn't know what I was saying. I was sore. I, I guess I loved him too much. He said he was going to walk out on me. and uh, Well, that's why I answered that ad of yours, Mr. Bettner. It doesn't really matter now, does it? Lieutenant Johnson, I suppose I can call down here and make all the necessary arrangements about the body. Just talk to Swanson, that's all. I'd like Phil to be buried in Waynesville in the family plot. Don't worry about a thing. You don't look too well. You better get back to your hotel and get some rest. I'll see you about the bill before I leave, Valentine. Oh, we won't have to wait for it that long. I got it for you right now. Hey, Valentine! Hey, hey, what are you doing? Yes, I didn't make myself very clear. Oh, George, did you hurt What's him? What's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Come on, come on. Get up, that Hey, what's the idea? Uh-huh. A nice 38 you're packing, bub. Is this what you mean by the hardware business? Well, are you going to do some talking, or do I have to knock your ears off with this gun? Phil, don't let him. Shut up, you fool. Yes, baby. It is Phil. What's that? Then who's this guy on the slab? Martin Bettner, I think, huh, George? Right, Brooksy. And what do you got to say to that, Phil? Nothing. Okay, then I'll put the words in your mouth. You had a fight with Henning and you killed him. Who knew that between the police and Henning's boys, you were as good as dead? Oh, Phil. But you also knew your brother, Martin, was in town looking for you, the brother you always hated. So you got in touch with him, killed him in gangster style in that room on Jackson Place. Then hired me for this fancy runaround. You don't know what you're talking about. It's beginning to make sense to me. Go on, Valentine. You outsmarted yourself, Phil. You should never have put that light out and thrown me down those stairs. You see, that's something Martin couldn't have done in a million years. What well, you see for yourself, about... his right arm. We heard the report of Swanson. There was nothing wrong with Phil. But Martin Bettner had a withered arm. wonder, Brooksy, why is it that when brothers hate each other, it's worse than all the Hatfields and the McCoys locked in one closet? Didn't you suspect anything about Phil before Swanson read that tag at the morgue? Well, when that character in the bookie joint sidled up, volunteering information, it was a little too good to be true. You mean Phil planted him there? Uh-huh. But, sweet face, blood is thicker than water. Brothers should love each other. Well, I, think... I thought it was pretty unfeminine for Renee to rat on Phil one moment, then leave with him the way Tommy told me she did. You didn't even listen to me, did you, when I was telling you about that on the phone? Well, uh, maybe with one ear. Then when I saw her in the lobby of the same hotel where Martin was staying, well, I had a hunch, too. Oh, of course, it wasn't one of those scientific hunches you get. Yeah, yeah. But about brothers, Brooksy, do you think it's familiarity that sometimes breeds such men? Oh, not necessarily. Now, look at husbands and wives. Huh? They go on for years and years living together. Well, they never think of murdering each other. <laughs> oh, Brooksy, you just haven't lived. And now, a message of importance to motorists. Can you imagine our friend George Valentine driving into a station and saying his car needed oil? Uh-uh. You wouldn't catch George that way. He'd be sure to specify RPM motor oil, the great modern lubricant that's tailor-made to keep cars young. 
And if you consider your car an important investment, be sure you say RPM motor oil. RPM contains special compounds, and each added ingredient does a specific wear-saving job for your engine. It's a premium motor oil that stops rust, foaming, and corrosion, keeps your entire engine system cleaner. No wonder RPM motor oil is the two-to-one choice over any other motor oil in the West. Get it tomorrow at a standard station or an independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... George, do you think if Dr. Wormsley is right and he did see a man pushed off the roof, he'd be... Nothing like checking, Brooksy. Oh, wait a minute. The rim is behind that high board fence and only windows from the elevator shafts on this side of the building. That would mean that... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh-huh. George! That's a man! I mean, it was. Yeah. Past tense is putting it mildly. Well, Brooksy, it wasn't just Dr. Wormsley's imagination. And the odds are this is the body of our Mr. Dunlap. Tonight's adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George, with Francis Robinson as Claire. Ken Christie appears as Lieutenant Johnson. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little, Jr., and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Gloria Blondell, Carlton Cadell, Tyler McVeigh, Harry Bartell, Bill Bissell, and Stanley Waxman. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter. Your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. And now, another mystery on Mystery Radio X. Murder by Experts. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, Mr. John Dixon Carr, world-famous mystery novelist whose books have been published in 17 languages, have sold over 10 million copies, and who is author of the recently published detective novel, Below Suspicion. Good evening. This is John Dixon Carr. Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective writers. Tonight, our guest expert is the noted mystery novelist Frank Gruber. From the many thrillers he has read and enjoyed... Mr. Gruber has selected a tense and gripping story by George and Gertrude Fass. And now we present Larry Haynes in It's Luck That Counts. 
When you're down on your luck, you can't expect things to break right. You see a dime lying on the street, you go to pick it up and get swiped by an auto. Or you snatch a bag from a rich-looking dame and all you find in it is six cents and a lipstick. You know what I mean. So when the bartender in this Pittsville dive told me to scram, I guess I should have listened to him. Now, now, look, Crum, keep your hooks out to free lunch. Quit bothering the customers. Nobody's going to buy you a drink. I'm not bothering anybody. Well, just you standing there bothers me. Just because I'm near the freight yards, every bindle stiff in the county thinks I run a club for hobos or something. I told you once, I told you a dozen times to shove off of it. Hey, what's going on? What are the cops coming here for? All right, folks. Stand right where you are. Hey, what is this? Keep your shirt on, Delaney. This is a raid. Commissioner's orders. Hey. You there. Come over here. I didn't do nothing. All right, search him, Parker. What for? What have I done? Never mind. Oh, but I... Hey, you. You in the brown suit. Get over there with the other one. And you there, Red. Go on, get over there. Hey, you. You're a new face. What's your name? Me? Yeah, you. Matthews, Dan Matthews. Where do you live? I'm, uh, I'm just passing through. Get over with the others, Matthews. But I haven't done anything. Get! Uh, here's the next one, Lieutenant. His name is Dan Matthews. Ah. Uh, all right, Dan. Now here's your chance to come clean. Why did you kill him? Kill? I didn't kill anybody. I swear I didn't. Suppose I told you you were seen near the old lady's shack just about the time she was killed. What old lady? Sarah Grimes. Name's familiar, isn't it? No, I never heard of her. I never was near her. Where'd you hide the money, Danny? What money? The 75 grand you stole from the old lady after you killed her. 75 grand? Yeah. You think if I stole 75 G's, I'd be hanging around Delaney's bar, mooching a drink? I'm asking the questions, Matthews. Now, where were you Tuesday night between 8 o'clock and midnight? Well, if that's when it happened, that lets me out, Lieutenant. I was in Delaney's bar all that time. Ask him if you don't believe me, he'll tell you. Oh. All right, Matthews. If Delaney backs you up, that'll clear you. And you'll let me go? Oh, no, no. No matter what Delaney says, we're holding you for vagrancy. Vagrancy? Yeah. You're a big, good-looking guy, Matthews. Why haven't you got a job? Well, I... This city doesn't like bums, Matthews. Especially bums from out of town. We got enough of our own. Hey, Sergeant, take Matthews back to this cell and bring in the next one. They all gave me the big double O when I got shoved back into the cell, but I just grinned at them and flopped onto a cot. They still had it coming. All of them were guys like me. All except one. He was about 40, big, and he wore a neat pinstripe suit. I could see he was really sweating under the cool front he was putting up. Presently, he came over to me. Hey, fella. Yeah? What are they looking for? Listen, they question you. What are they trying to find? I don't even know why they arrested me. You mean they just picked you up and pulled you in without telling you what for? Yes. 
I was just opening up my pool parlor when the cops came. Called me up without a word. What for? Why? You know what they want? Yeah, sure I know. They're looking for a murderer. Murderer? Who was killed? Some old crow named Grimes. Sarah Grimes? Yeah, you know her? Of course I know her. She was a friend of my old lady. Well, she's dead. Head smashed in, blood all over everything. According to the cops, she had 75,000 bucks hidden in that tumble-down shack of hers. Maybe more. 75,000? Yeah. What am I to do with this? Why do you arrest me? Same reason they arrested me, to ask questions. Tell me. What, uh... What questions do they ask? Lots of questions, you know. Do, uh... Do they do anything else? What do you mean? They search you? Examine your clothes? They didn't, but I decided to give the guy a ride. Sure. Sure, they go over you from head to foot. Examine your clothes under ultraviolet for blood stains. Look into your cuts, your shoes, socks, everything. Why? Nothing. Nothing. Listen, Paul. Danny's the name. Danny Matthews. Danny, I'm Fred Bruno. You look like a nice guy. A guy I can trust. Sure, everybody can trust Danny. I, uh, I want you to do me a favor. I'll be glad to, only I'm not getting out of here, so I can't call your lawyer. No, it's it's not that. I, I'm a married man, see? Yeah, I see. But uh, sometimes I go to New York on business, you know. Yeah. I don't like to carry a lot of baggage with me, so I keep a bag in the city. A suitcase. I got my clothes in it. Uh-huh. You know. You know New York? Do I know New York? You know that check room in Times Square in the subway? Yeah, I know. I got the suitcase checked there. I, I got the baggage checked with me. Well, that's no crime. Yeah, but you see, it's like this. If they find that baggage check on me, they'll investigate, won't they? Yeah, they'll investigate. That's what I'm afraid of. I've uh, got a girlfriend in the city. My wife finds out about that, there's going to be trouble. So, you see, I don't want them to know. You understand? Yeah, sure, sure. I know just how you feel. Uh, They're not going to search you again? No, no, they're not. Would you? Sure, I'll hold it for you. Just give it here. I'll give you $10 for the payment. That's all I have on me. Thanks. I'll be glad to do it for you. You're a good guy, Danny. You give it to me when I come back. Well, uh, maybe you're not coming back. Maybe they'll let you go. You needn't worry about that. I'll be around to pick it up. Okay. Whenever you want it, you can have it back again. That's fine. Here. Here it is. Take care of it. Oh, sure. You haven't a thing to worry about. Well, Fred Bruno didn't come back to the cell, so I knew the police didn't have enough on him to hold him. A couple of hours later, I was hauled into night court and was handed a 30-day stretch for vacancy. I hadn't been in a week when they told me I had a visitor. Fred Bruno. He didn't waste any time getting down to business. Where is it? Where's what? That baggage check. What baggage check? I don't know what you're talking about. Don't fool around with me, Matthews. I want... I tell you, I don't know what you're talking about. I warn you, Matthews. I want that check. If I don't get it, you're not going to like what happens to you. Maybe I'd better call the screw. You're threatening me. Maybe I'd better tell him you want a baggage check. Suppose they were to find that check, Bruno, and find the suitcase in your girl's picture and that your wife isn't going to like that. All right, Matthews. You're asking for it. And you're gonna get it right in the neck. I knew then I had to do some planning. 
I wasn't letting that check slip through my fingers, not when for the first time in my life my luck was beginning to change. I ain't dumb. I knew it was in that suitcase. It was a 75 G's Bruno got when he knocked off his old lady friend. I knew I had to get that baggage checked to a safe place. I got an envelope and a stamp and addressed it to Dan Andrews, care of general delivery, New York. Then I got friendly with a stew who was in for 10 days on a D&D charge. I gave him 10 bucks to mail a letter for me when he got outside. I knew it was taking a chance, but what else could I do? Well, when my 30 days were up, I walked down the jailhouse steps expecting to find Fred Bruno waiting for me. He wasn't there. But that didn't mean he wasn't having me tailed. I walked down the street and then turned off toward the main highway out of town. As I hiked along, I kept thumbing cars. The fourth one slowed down and stopped. Would you like a lift? Oh, you bet. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. You going far? Uh, New York. You going that far? Oh, no. No, I'm not. Sorry. But I can take you about 20 miles on your way. Well, every little bit helps. Yes, I guess it does. She smiled at me. She was a luscious blonde with blue eyes that really set you back on your heels. She looked to be about 25. And there was class written all over her. I sat next to her smelling that wonderful perfume. And cursing my clothes and the luck that made us meet like this. Um, you're not scared? Picking up a guy like me? I'm not dressed so well. Should I be scared? Oh, no, no. Well, I'm not. As a matter of fact, I didn't look at your clothes when I stopped for you. I looked at your face. Looked honest, huh? Not only that. Oh. Say, I, uh... I sure wish you were going to New York. We could have a great time there. Could we? Well, you may think because I'm dressed like a tramp, I am a tramp. Broke, but that's where you're wrong. I've got lots of money waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I'll have it just as soon as I get to the city. Yes, sir, I've got a steak there waiting for me. A big steak. That's nice. Somebody die and leave your fortune? I might say that. <laughs> sure, you might say that. Well, I'm sorry I'm not going to New York. I'm on my way to my country place. I've got a little place near Gloucester. Oh? You, uh, stay there all alone? Most of the time. Isn't it lonely? Well, yes, it, uh... It might be a bit lonely. Yeah, well, uh, look, I don't have to get to New York today. I could get in tomorrow or the day after. Are you angling for an invitation? Well, I just thought if you wanted company. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess you could come to lunch, maybe, and stay for a swim. I could. Yeah, that's swell. Yes, I think it is, too. And since we'll be spending the afternoon together, I guess we'd better get to know each other's names. I'm Alice. I'm Danny, Danny Matthews. Glad to know you, Danny. (laughs) You're not half as glad as I am, Alice. It took us about an hour to get to that summer place of ours. It was off all by itself in the woods. Right near it was an old quarry filled with sparkling cold water. I helped to lug a carton of groceries from the car into the kitchen. We stowed them away together and took the covers off the furniture. 
I could feel it building between us all the time. It's only 11 o'clock. Would you like to go for a swim now? The quarry's fine for swimming. Well, sure, only I don't have a suit. Oh, you can wear my brother's trunks. He's just about your size. I'll show you where you can change. Then I'll meet you in five minutes in front of the house. I was ready in three. When I waited for her on the porch, she came out in a white swimsuit. And when I saw her, I just about lost my breath. She was the dreamiest dame I have laid eyes on. She smiled and I just gulped. Come along, we go down this path. Do you swim well? It's very, very deep. Oh, like a fish. Come on, let's get in. That is what is great. My goodness, you are a good swimmer. Oh, I was born near the East River. Can you dive? Oh, sure. Can you touch bottom? Uh, I don't know. How deep is it? 30 feet. Oh, wait till I get on the sledge. Now watch me. The water was so clear I could see the bottom coming up at me as I kicked myself down. I grabbed a handful of gravel and started up. Here's a present for you. Thanks. I can't do that. I've tried, but I never can get all the way down. Oh, it's easy. Come on, stand here on this rock and catch your breath. Uh, Oh, isn't the water wonderful? You're wonderful. You're nice, too. She turned to face me. I let my arms float around her and closed them. And as she floated up close to me, her lips were soft and cool. And then suddenly the coolness was gone and she was warm and close. She looked at me for a long moment with those beautiful eyes and then she slipped away and swam to the other end of the quarry. I swam after her. We climbed onto the rocks and she sat down and pulled off a bathing cap. Alice, I... I... Oh, Danny. Alice, Alice, I know it's crazy just meeting you a couple of hours ago, but I'm nuts about you. You're very nice, Danny. You're so very nice. Now, listen, come to New York with me. I got a pile of dough there just waiting for me to pick it up. I know I'm talking like I'm out of my head, me without a cent in my pocket, dressed in rags, and. Well, it's true. But we'll really start living, get married, Alice. You don't, you don't know what you don't, do to me. Don't, don't. We've got to get back to the house now. Uh, no, no, Danny, please, not now. We went back to the house. I followed her inside into the living room. Somebody was standing there with a rod in his hand. Bruno. Don't move, Matthews. Don't move or I'll plug you. Uh, Danny. Danny, this is my husband. Oh, I get it. I get it now. Did you find it, Fred? No, it's not in his clothes. I took them apart. I haven't got it. Well, maybe he... Maybe he hid it in the bedroom. No, I looked everywhere. Talk, Matthews. Where is it? Talk or you'll be wishing you were dead. I haven't a thing to say. Brave, aren't you? Wait. Before I get through with you, you talk. Plenty. Save it. Give it to him, Danny. Give it to him and you can go. That's to you, gorgeous. Never mind the talk. Upstairs, Matthews. We went upstairs, and Bruno told her to tie me to a chair, and she did a good job, too. I was tied to that chair so tight I could hardly breathe. You go outside, Alice. Leave him to me. Yes, Fred. Danny, I'm sorry. Well, this is your last chance. Are you going to talk? 
just the beginning. Really did a good job, too. When I was through, I knew I'd been shellacked by an expert, but I didn't talk. I knew I'd be signing my own death warrant by spilling. He wouldn't kill me as long as he thought he could get me to sing. I was alone in the room, still tied to the chair. Downstairs, I could hear the two of them moving around, talking. I had to get my hands free. I pulled and jerked until the blood came. Then I passed out. Must have been hours later when I came to. It was dark and the house was quiet. I tried again to loosen my wrists. And I finally got my right hand free. Free, but almost useless. I rested, flexing my fingers. An hour passed, maybe more. I was picking at the knot that tied my left hand when the door quietly opened. The room was as dark as the inside of a camera, but I knew who it was. I'd know the smell of that perfume anywhere. Danny. Danny, are you awake? Yes, I'm awake. He mustn't hear you whisper. What for? I could have to say. Danny, he's going to kill you. I know it. So what? I don't want you to die. You wouldn't kid me, would you? I'm going to untie you and let you go. Thanks. I mean it. I do mean it. Just tell me where it is, that baggage check. Please, Danny. You're keeping it. Won't do you any good. Believe me. Maybe not. Now, Danny, listen to me. Freddy killed that old woman, and he'll kill you, too. I don't want him to. No. No. Let him have the baggage check, Danny. And then we'll go away, you and I. I hate him. I hate him. He's a beast. You're not getting anywhere, baby. Oh, Dan. You think I want to get the money, don't you? You think I'm lying just to get the money? Well, I'll tell you something, Danny. There isn't any money in that suitcase. Where is it if not in a suitcase? I have it. You have it? Yes, I have. I took it out of the suitcase and, and put something else in. All right. All right, you have the money. Why didn't you take a powder with it? Because I can't get at it, that's why. You have it, but you can't get at it. That makes sense. Now listen. The night that Freddy killed her, he came here with the money. I didn't know he was going to kill her. You didn't, huh? No. I didn't know a thing about it until he showed me the money. He put it in the suitcase so he could drive down to New York and check it. Well, while he changed his clothes, I took the money out and put something else in. Yeah? What'd you do with the dough? After he left... I put the money in a big mason jar and dropped it in the quarry. The quarry? Yes. I was sure that I'd be able to dive down and get it up again. Well, I tried, but it was too deep for me. That's why I asked you if you could touch bottom, you see? So please, please tell Freddy where the check is. He'll go to get it, and while he's gone, we'll get the money and go away. It's quite a yarn. But it's true, Danny. Please, it's true. All the time she talked, I kept working on my left hand, pulling to free it. And finally, it slipped out of the rope. Oh, Danny, we can go out west. Some place where you'll never find us. Please. Please, you've got to believe me. Danny, I love you, too. If I didn't, I wouldn't tell you all this. I'd keep the money for myself, wouldn't I? How do I know you're not playing me for a sucker? Well, you've got to trust me. Please. Please, tell me where the baggage check is. Cut me free first. You don't trust me, do you? Sure, sure, I trust you. But I haven't got it on me, you know that. Where is it? In New York, in a safe place. Fine. I'll tell Freddie and he'll go for it. When he does pick up that suitcase, there'll be a surprise waiting for him. While he's gone, we'll get the mason jar from the bottom of the quarry and we'll be on our way west in the morning. 
Does he know you're in here now? Yes. Yes, I... I asked him to let me try talking to you. Danny, he, he thinks that I'm trying to fool you. But you wouldn't do that, would you, honey? Oh, Danny, can't I make you understand? I could feel the numbness leaving fingers on my left hand. Now I had both hands free and she was within my reach, lying a fool head off to get me to give up the 75 grand to give her and Freddie. Where is it, Danny? Come closer, Alice. All right. Kiss me. Just to show me you're living with me. She came close. Her lips pressed against mine. And then... Oh, I had one hand on that soft, flying red mouth of hers and the other on her throat. With all my strength, I held on, pulling it down on my knees so her feet wouldn't kick the floor. Suddenly she was limp, but I didn't let go. Minutes went by. Finally, I took my hand off her mouth. She wasn't breathing anymore. She was dead. Slowly, I let her body down on the floor. Then I untied the knots that held me to the chair. I reached for her, and carefully, with stiff fingers, I took off a jacket. The perfume she drenched it with came off in waves. Then I got up, holding the jacket ahead of me like a bullfighter's cape. I walked down the pitch-black hall. Alice? Shh. Did he tell you? I stopped. He'd been waiting there all the time. The perfume on that jacket fooled him the way I thought it would. I was just a couple of feet from him. The next time he spoke, I'd jump. Well, did he talk? No, Freddy, I didn't. <laughs> My first wild punch in the dark put him out. After that, he wasn't any more trouble than she was. There was a lot for me to do before daybreak. First, I got rid of both the bodies, tying weights to them and sinking them to the bottom of the quarry. Freddy had a fat wallet. I helped myself to that. Next, I changed into one of his suits that was in the house. I closed the place, locked it, and got into the car as the first streaks of light began to show in the east. By afternoon, I'd be in New York. When I reached New York, I got a shave and a haircut and had some lunch. Then I went down to the main post office. The letter was there. And at ten minutes, I was at the Times Square subway station with a baggage check in my hand. Here you are. One suitcase. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, B-131. Oh, what are you waiting for? B-131. This was checked over 30 days ago. Oh, what of it? I'll pay the charges. We don't keep baggage up here. After 30 days, your suitcase is down in storage room B. Uh, this way, please. Yeah, sure, just lead the way. He took the stairs down to one of the cellars, walked along some dark halls, and then stopped in front of a locked door. It's in uh, one of the bins down this way. Uh, here we are. B-131. This it? That looks like it. Okay, take it. Right. Oh, uh, here, bud. This is for your trouble. Uh, no, no thanks. Come on, buy yourself a drink. No, I don't want it. All right, suit yourself. Let's go. As we walked back to the door, I wondered why the guy should refuse a tip. When we got to the door, I found out. 
He opened it and I walked out right into the arms of a big guy in a bronze suit. He grabbed my wrists and before I knew what was happening, he had a pair of bracelets. All right, Matthews, you're under arrest. Arrest? What for? For the murder of Sarah Grimes in Pittsville, Massachusetts. I didn't kill that old lady. Save it, brother. You can do all your talking down at headquarters. For all the talking I did down at headquarters, there were a lot of things I couldn't explain away. Like, for instance, the bank books belonging to Sarah Grimes they found in the suitcase. My having the baggage checked for the suitcase. One thing the cops didn't know. And that was what happened to the 75 grand which should have been in the suitcase. And wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't a dime in that suitcase. The cops told me that two days after old lady Grimes was knocked off, they got an anonymous letter telling them to look into the suitcase checked in Times Square under number B-131. The note said the man who'd call for that suitcase was the murderer of Sarah Grimes. So, now they're hanging me in half an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting the surprise that was meant for Fred Peruno. And when I think it all over, two things stand out. Down in that quarry, there's a mason jar with $75,000 in it. And down there, too, is a gorgeous blue-eyed dame with a rock tied around her neck. See what I mean by the brakes going against you? I could have had them both. Yep. I could have had them both. And so the curtain falls on It's Luck That Counts, which was chosen by guest expert Frank Gruber, whose latest mystery thriller is The Leather Duke. Next week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you the story of four people trapped in a bus in a driving blizzard and faced with the realization that one of them is a murderer. Selected for your approval by Helen Riley. Until then, this is your host, John Dixon Carr, hoping you'll be with us next week at this time. It's Luck That Counts was written by George and Gertrude Fass. In the cast were Larry Haynes, Miss Leslie Wood, Santos Ortega, Bill Smith, and Ed Latimer. Music is under the direction of Emerson Buckley and was composed by Richard DuPage. Murder by Experts is produced and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. All characters in our story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons was purely coincidental. This is Jack Farron speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X. X.